Hello again, this is Noah and John, and we are from Urban Digs. We are talking Manhattan. We're at Brown Harris Stevens here, Johnny. We are. We're at the Lincoln Square office. It's lovely. We're on the second floor and just looking out across the street at the uh, Metropolitan Opera, the New York Philharmonic. Yeah, it's a great view. It's a great view. Cool, cool November day, and we are joined today by Lisa Lippman. Lisa Lippman, 22-year veteran. Mm-hmm. Okay. You got to start in a very unusual way. Tell us how you got into this business, because then we're going to rack your brain here and get all those insights, because I know you know some good stuff. So we got a good podcast for you, but first, Lisa Lippman, how'd you start out here? So I started off, I was home with two young children, um, three and almost, and basically zero, and I wasn't really thrilled with being a full-time mom, um, so I decided that maybe I would try real estate. I thought it seemed interesting. As a lawyer, you're automatically licensed, and um, I walked into a Corcoran office on 81st and Broadway next to Zabar's. That office doesn't exist anymore, and I walked in and I said, hi, I'm a lawyer, and I want to do this part-time, and they said, you're hired. Oh. And that's how I started. And that was it. That was it. And and the last couple of years, you're at Brown House, you're number one at the company, is that correct? I've been number one the last three years in a row. Three years, okay. Yeah. 2019 is not in the books yet. So uh, No, have. so it was 15, uh, 16, 17, and 18, and mm-hmm. we don't know yet for 19, but right. I'm hoping. I'm hoping too, good. Um, well, so here's the first question I want to ask you. It's high level. Um, it's a very confusing time right now. What is going on in the Manhattan markets right now? So the Manhattan market has been sort of, I guess, correcting and adjusting for a while. Looking back, which you can never tell really when you have your heights or your, your, you know, your peak or your valley until they're over, obviously. Right. Looking back, our peak was probably end of 2014, beginning of 15. And after that, we started sliding down. Um, I started feeling it actually in 15. I started talking about it. Um, they always call me the canary in the coal mine in this company because mm-hmm. I do so many deals that I feel things. So I always know when the server goes down. I feel when the market changes. Um, because so you're, you're in the matrix. You're I'm in the matrix. Yeah, and she's well, in, the high, in the high end matrix especially, which yeah. I think 2014 really was that cap. Correct. Yeah. So I start, I, I do between 50 and 60 deals a year. I've been doing 50 to 60 deals a year for the last five to seven years. So mm-hmm. that just, you know, buyers and sellers, I work with both. Mm-hmm. So it keeps you really on top of where things are. And you're, I'm very in touch with the pulse. So where we are now is that we've been sort of sliding downwards from 2015. If you look at any year, though, in real estate, whether it's an up year or a down year, there are little peaks and valleys within the trend of the year. Right. So although we've been sort of sliding since 15, we've had little ups and downs, but mm-hmm. there's been a, definitely a trend downward since the second half of 15. And are these, are these peaks you're talking about, are they more seasonal sort of peaks, like kind of peaking up in the spring and then falling back off to continue the slide? Somewhat, or? but again, if you would look at a graph mm-hmm. of a year, you would probably see little peaks and valleys going up and down. It sometimes hap- has to do with the stock market rallying, going down, the weather. You know, if we've had a really icy January, February, things might be a little softer. Then there's a little pent up demand. It can get a little busier for March, April, and then it can suddenly soften again for a month or two. Right. But in general, if you look year over year, we've been going down since the second half of 15. And, and I'm looking at the price per square foot, and, and it. And it- jives with that and I think there's a, a delay right so so it's like a six to eight month delay and then the right. kind of that trend jives just with that and it is kind of progressively going down with a little kind of ups and downs and we do it monthly right so you know you have one month where there's a lot of low stuff in and you have another month with a lot of new developments and townhouses in and, and three plus bedrooms in and sometimes those price per square foot and so those median sale prices have those quick little bumps skewing the data especially with that mansion tax 
that we just had in June in uh, July first, right? July first, yeah. right? And that caused a huge spike in three plus bedrooms. Well, I, I, I mean, you also are going to see a lot of. Um, some of it, I mean, it's a little bit tough to see because mm -hmm. a lot of people who went to contract at the height, 14 or 15, didn't close until 16. Yeah. So we saw a lot of high closings through 16 and even early 17. Where we've really started seeing lower closings, I would tell you started in 18. And that's why finally sellers are listening. Because sellers don't listen until they see closed data mm -hmm. showing that prices are down. Very hard right. for them to just believe their broker or believe what they're hearing. And truthfully, the media doesn't report that things are down until they see closed prices. So when right. I would tell a reporter in 16 that I thought things were softening, they would say, no, I saw this closing, I saw that closing. Yeah. And I would say, you're looking at things that are lagging two, three years. Forget yeah. it. It's not accurate. And that's new development you're talking about. That's right. new development, correct. Right. Yeah, right. but you know, that obviously makes up a lot of our statistics these days. It didn't used to be that way, but because yeah. there's so much new development, every neighborhood now has skewed statistics because of new development. Yep. Yeah. Well, we just started stripping them out. So like on the Urban Digs chart room now, resale is, is pure resale. That's smart. We, we used to actually have- um, Resale new, and new development. Yeah. yeah, we had new and recent development. So like in, in Urban Digs, we kind of look at new development as five years, right? Right. Less than five years. So then we thought, all right, well, what happens if you're six years? in seven years, and eight years, and you were built in 2012 or 2013, uh -huh. you're, you're not new anymore, but you're not quite the same as a 1950s building that's considered resale, right? So we created this new category called recent development, and we had the chart room originally, we, we consolidated those two, new and recent development to one category. We just are in the process of stripping that out so we can actually see resale totally exclusive mm -hmm. of new developments and then new developments on its own, and we're just now getting a look at that. And when I went to the chart room, John, to take a look at this, um, for the first time, and again, this is just live. Yeah, we just did this time. this weekend, I think. We just did this weekend, and I look at the resale market. Um, I'm seeing some positive things. Of course, I want to do those checks real quick, and Lisa, we're going to get right back to you. Um, but just real quick, pending sales in the resale market, excluding new and recent development, is up 20%. Supplies up 6%, pending sales up 20%. This is a year ago? This is over one year, yeah. and the market pulse is up 13%. The market pulse is just generally the leverage, um, which means that it's, it's getting a little better. Now, it's not bounce. It's almost like we're down, we're down, we're down, we're down, we're down, we're down, and now we're kind of trickling along that bottom, and it just so happens that we're, that we're a little higher than we were at the bottom a year ago. Um, but price-wise, if you were to look at your deals, you do a lot of new development and high-end, how much is the market down in that sector versus, say, the $2 million and under in the co-op sector? Do you see different things there? Well, so... There's a couple couple things we're talking about. So, you know, one thing you started asking me about is where are we right now? I think one of the reasons why you're seeing things sort of in your graphs and, and the, mm -hmm. the volume of deals picking up is that prices have finally come down. That's what I started saying. So where prices are lower, buyers are biting. Right. The fact is, is the buyers are out there. The interest rates are very low. It's very easy to get a mortgage. It's not like 0809 in that sense. Mm -hmm. right. And so people are buying where they see value. In fact, I have I have had bids or I have bids on almost every one of my exclusives. Now, not all my sellers are willing to take the bids they're getting. Right. Some then regret not taking them. Others feel that they'll get a better bid eventually. Um, and some have bidden and mm -hmm. we've made deals. Um, but buyers are definitely out there. In terms of the market, I think the market under $2 million has definitely suffered less than the market over $2 million. Certainly, the market, the market that I see actually being sort of the worst is kind of between 4 and 10. Mm -hmm. um, that market probably was flooded with inventory. 
people paid top dollar on that stuff in 15 and 16. If yeah. those people are trying to flip or get out of what they bought, they are definitely not coming back coming back whole. Right. And that market is definitely softer. Right. Sellers in general, um, when you go for that listing pitch and you are talking to them, I guess I assume you're selling yourself and you're also kind of giving an expectation on price and, and, and the strategy, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what do you find their responses to the prices that you say their places are worth today? Are they shocked? Um, some are shocked. Some are not. Um, I, I have to tell you that the people who really read a lot mm -hmm. and do their own research are not shocked at all. And almost expect to hear what I say. Lately I've noticed that when I go in to tell somebody, pitch something and I tell them the price, they're all kind of like, okay, that's what I thought you'd say. There was a period of time where I was telling people sort of the bad news that they didn't want to hear and they didn't agree with me. I lost some listings. I mean, I have to tell you, I've always ended up being right when I see where the things right. have traded later and how they've right. gone down. Um, but you lost the listings. I mean, do you, do you how do you adapt? I mean, this is a transactional commission-based environment here. Yeah, well, you know, first of all, I always tell people, and I do a lot of ed, continuing ed for new brokers, um, and I, I teach the brokers who come to Brown Harris and their training programs, you have to be true to yourself. If you're not true to yourself in this business, I don't think you can do well. So you have to find your own style. You have to find the way you do business. There are brokers who are willing to go along with a much higher price, run the risk of being the first broker who doesn't sell the listing mm -hmm. or fighting with the client later in, in lowering the price. I, I That really doesn't appeal to me. I really sort of pride myself on giving the best and most honest information. And um, sometimes that's disappointing to a seller. Well, sometimes that I'm the second or third broker. Right. Um, and sometimes they listen to me and sometimes I just never get the listing. But again, I think, you know, knock on wood, um, I've been doing this for 22 years. I'm always happy to learn new techniques, and I'm not saying I don't learn from other people, but I also have to be true to who I am. Right. So when you're on that listing pitch, um, could you give me an idea of like what percentage is kind of focused on pricing and strategy, and what percentage is focused on kind of you and marketing and selling yourself and all the stuff you're going to do? Yeah, well, that's a good question. You know, for a long time, it really was that you just had to sort of talk about who you were and maybe differentiate yourself and hope that you looked better or brought shinier mm -hmm. materials or something else like that. Um, I don't feel like I need to do that so much, so there's not that much anymore. I think a lot less time is spent on that part. Everybody really has great advertising. Certainly, Brown Harris Stevens has great advertising. We have a great website. Most people who you know who I meet with have heard about me before. They know that you know I, I know what I'm doing. Yep, right. um, so really, the toughest part of the conversation is pricing. Is the correct pricing? Do you leave room for negotiability? Do you underprice? Um, and, and that is the toughest part because, you know, when someone's making money on a property, it's much easier to sell it for them and yeah. to price it. And when they're not making money or when they're losing money, it's a much tougher conversation. Do you find that the majority of your of your inventory right now is of the latter? Is, is they bought in 2014, 15, 16? Or do you find that most of the stuff is... I have very little like that. I have one or two things like that. And that's a tough one. I have a lot of people, though, who bought in the late two like 2006, 7, 8, 9, 10. Mm -hmm. And those people, some of them are losing money and some of them are just breaking even, depending on whether they put money into the property. And that's tough too, if you're just breaking even, because there's been this sort of theory and now we're seeing fallacy mm -hmm. yeah. that you always make money on real estate. Yeah, and so you really do think we're back, we're back to 2000, 
Well, it really depends on the product. It's very interesting. You can't completely make a blanket statement. Yeah. But if you bought something in the last height, yeah. 2006 or 7, yep. and you bought it in mint condition at the time, and you've done nothing to it since, which means it's now 13, 12 to 13 years old, you will lose money because it's no longer new. Mm -hmm. and you bought it new and you paid top dollar. Right. If you bought it in 2009 or 10 when the market was softer, you might not make money. If you put a little money into it, you might break even mm -hmm. or make a little bit of money. So it really depends, but I've seen a lot of people, both my own clients and others' mm -hmm. people, who bought in 06 or 07, paid a lot in a bidding war, yeah. and now are losing money if they, if they didn't renovate it. I mean, John, I hear all this, and we do all these podcasts, and we're talking about the policy-driven nature of this down cycle. I mean, I'm gonna repeat it over and over, and I say it every podcast. I don't think this is a cyclical downturn, or at least not a normal cyclical downturn. This is more of a policy-driven reset, where we were over here, and now all these policies happened, and the Manhattan has gotten less affordable. Um, less investor friendly and that's changed the dynamics and now we're just kind of valued at here um, and we might stay here for a while but you hear all this and I mean as a buyer as a contrarian buyer I got this is like exactly what you've been waiting for a hundred percent I mean look you have to yeah you have to take a silver lining in everything right so the silver lining here is that people can now buy a really nice two-bedroom apartment for a million five again. So that's mm -hmm. a nice silver lining. You can now buy a three or four-bedroom apartment for under four million dollars, yeah. sometimes even under three million dollars. You can buy a really nice apartment on Park Avenue for under four million dollars. Right. Yeah. So in some ways that's really good because there was a part of me that felt that a runaway market that just keeps getting more and more expensive becomes really frightening to people and it ends up being a city of just extremely wealthy people and extremely poor people. And not to say that it's become more socialist here and that it's such a city for middle class, um, but I do feel that the people who are making you know, very good incomes, but not hedge fund money or private equity money are able to buy apartments again. Yep. And there's, you know, that's good. Yeah. So where's the, if you, you, you were explaining a second ago about where some of the value plays were, but it almost sounds like the apartments that were sold in mid-condition 2008 that are coming on the market now where they're sort of maybe breaking even, that might be a great value opportunity because you're buying something, yeah, it's not mint, but it doesn't need that much more cosmetic work and you still might be getting a, a good deal. I totally agree with you. I think that that's a very good point to make. Um, I always tell people, buy something that's been sitting on the market for a little while where they, the sellers have sort of unfortunately chase the market down. Yeah. I also think that it's good to buy something um, that maybe looks nice but is not mint condition. Mm -hmm. If you're going to buy a wreck, you really have to get it for a cheap price because construction is extremely expensive and it takes a lot longer than anybody thinks it's right. going to take. So you need to buy a wreck really, really well. But you can buy something that's really livable and if you're willing to live in it happily and nicely for a while and maybe slowly do things, um, then you can do really well. Like I have this listing on Park Avenue and you know, it's really well priced now. It's a 3,800 square foot nine room apartment and the people are losing money on it. They bought it in, in 06, newly done. And it is 100% a livable apartment. Now, are there people who come in and say it needs a new kitchen and new bathrooms? Yes, of course there are, but it doesn't need them. And it has three zones of central air conditioning yeah. and it's a really nice apartment and it's really well priced now. Right, I mean, I, I, I... Where do we go from here? You know what I'm saying? This is what buyers are thinking. Like we're asking why, why are these things not trading? Why are they not getting good bids? Where do we go from here? I mean, I guess the only thing I can think of is buyers think we're going down. 
It's, mm -hmm. it's maybe they're just starting to realize we just because a lot of buyers are looking at that media that came out recently, and that media just for the record, a lot of people don't know this, but the headlines did refer to the mansion tax, but we had a big bump. We had a big bump in Q2 and then a big fall in Q3, 100% related to the mansion tax. It really had nothing to do with market dynamics. And if you listen to the Q3 report, some reports had us down 20, 25% year over year when that really was not the case. That we're really not down 25% from uh -huh. last year, right? Do you agree with that? We're not down 25%? We're not. It was just ago. that a lot of the stuff that would have happened in Q3 happened in Q2. It got, okay. it got accelerated. So it, it, it shook sellers, uh -huh. right? It grabbed them by the neck and it shook them and said, well, wake up, right? And, and a lot of agents are saying they needed this. They needed to hear this. They needed to see it. And now they're starting to reduce their prices. Some things are still not trading. Why? Like, where do we go from here? Like, buyers are looking for another 5% down. I'm sitting here saying the market's already been hit. You know, we're just bumbling along the bottom right now. Some sectors are already starting to, to normalize. I did a whole report on Upper Upper Manhattan that I'm doing, speaking tomorrow in a remedy presentation on Upper Manhattan. That market's doing great. There's nothing wrong going on And with Brooklyn Upper Manhattan. is also doing very well. And, and the Upper West Side's not doing so bad. The classic six market in the Upper West Side's not doing so bad. So I'm thinking, what what has to happen? Where do we go from here? Are we going down another five, ten percent? I mean, I know I'm putting you on the spot, John. You feel free to answer this as well. Yeah. Are we bumbling along the bottom here? And statistics really don't mean much. We're kind of it's just noise. Um, or we just do we flatline? Do we stay here for the next five years until policies change? I think that we're staying here for a while. I don't think we're going lower. I think that we really have started. Maybe we're bumbling around along the bottom, and I think we may continue to bumble along the bottom. Which, yeah. by the way. You know, it's a little hard to say it's the bottom. It's still up right. from 2004 and 5, right? right? Which isn't so long ago. And by the way, 2004 and 5 was a very heated market. And people's incomes haven't gone up as much as the real estate market did between 2000 and 2007 mm -hmm. um, or now. So, you know, maybe it's not the bottom. Maybe it's a correction that needed to happen. Yeah. Maybe, and I do think, I don't think things are changing. You know, we're going into another election. That's right. Um, there's the if, you know, I think people are also wondering if the president gets impeached, will the stock market crash? If a liberal de Democrat comes into office, will the stock market crash? Mm -hmm. I think that the big sort of elephant in the room in Manhattan is when, when and if the stock market will crash. Mm -hmm. Because it's the one thing that has continued to do very well. Yeah. And it's not correlative to the real estate market for the first time since 1987. Yeah, I gotta be honest with that. It worries me a little bit when I think about that kind of thing. I mean, look what Manhattan did while that market was going up. And we're up 20% in the last year. I mean, clearly that's not translating to, to market conditions. I mean, you know, Brian Morgan, you have Brian Morgan here. He would just say, listen, it's cheaper to rent than own. Right. It's right. as simple as that. And until the equation, either rent's got to rise or prices got to fall, and then when that happens, you're going to start to see the market actually do its own thing, and it'll turn. The problem is, is that when that happens, you've already missed the bottom kind of thing, and now you start chasing it again. Right. Yeah. Now, that's very true, especially if you're working in the under $2 million market. It becomes less true the higher end you are, only because the inventory of what you can rent, what you're in that price point, right. is not half as nice as what you can buy. Right. And if you're wealthy enough, then you sometimes don't just do a purchase cost analysis. You do what you want to do, how you want to live. Right. Um, very interesting. So, you know, that's, that's an important thing. And, you know, every time somebody says to me, yeah, well, you know, it's probably just cheaper for me to rent than to buy, I say, okay, but why don't we go out and look at what you want to rent? And they come back and they're like, okay, I'm going to buy. Right. Because they don't like what they can rent. Well, they need to tell themselves that they looked at the rental market. That's Correct. interesting. And it's, I, if we could shift topics a little bit, because I think that's a, that's a great way to sort of, sort of circumvent the conversation. You don't want to talk about renting? Go check it out. Then come back to me. And if you can find somebody to rent, great. But if not, let's talk about buying. 
I would love to know what other kind of advice you might have for agents out there who are starting out, they're having some of these conversations that are, are difficult conversations to have if you've never had them before. Like, how do you talk to a seller about breaking the bad news? How do you talk to a buyer about, well, listen, this is value here. Right. Trying to convince them it's value as we're sort of bumbling along the buyer. Right. Well, I mean, I think that, you know, people will believe you if you know what you're talking about, right? And you can't fake it. I don't think you can yeah. fake it. There's too much news out there. Things are too transparent. Everybody has enough tools in their own hands that for them to trust someone else, mm -hmm. you need to know more than they do beyond the information you can get from tools, okay? So the reason why people listen to me is that I have years of knowledge, I have an overview that even somebody who considers themselves sort of an expert seller or an expert mm -hmm. buyer, hopefully I know more. If they don't believe that I know more, then they have no need for a broker, right? right. Okay, that's fine. Sometimes there's nothing you can do about that. But if you're new at this and you really want to establish yourself as an expert, what I always tell people is that you can't push people and you can't expect things to happen quickly. You have to be willing to take your time and you have to be patient. So if that means working with a seller and trying to get them to lower the, the price of the apartment, it means not just sending them comps. It means sometimes taking them out to see what other things are selling. And mm -hmm. I'll tell you an interesting right. story. In um, 0809, I lived in the same building I live in now, um, 245 West 99th Street, which is an Extel building. Yeah, there you And right, correct. And I had sold a whole bunch of apartments in the building. I moved into the building, and there were about eight uh, sponsor units left. Okay. And they were having a hard time selling them because it was 0809, and they didn't want to have an on-site person anymore. And so I said to them, "Why don't you give them to me, um, and let me sell them?" Um, and actually, you know, before that happened, I, I had a conversation. This is how I got to know Gary, and then he ended up giving me the listings. I had a buyer for one of the listings, mm -hmm. and I and the way you used to do things still to this day, by the way, if you're negotiating with Gary Barnett, most of the time you speak to Gary Barnett, at least I always do. He actually gets into the minutia of all of his deals. Wow. So I made a call to whoever was in charge of the building. I said, I have this offer. I think it was 2.3. He had been selling the same line for 2.7. And they said, oh, God, you know, Gary's not going to like the offer. It's too low. I get a call. I pick up the phone. He said, this is Gary Barnett. If you didn't live in my building, I would tell you to never call me, never show in my building again. How could you give me an offer like that? And I said, these are the offers I'm getting. Do you want me to not sell in the building? Okay. And, I, and he hung up. And I hung up. And about 10 minutes later, I get another call from his office. And they said, Gary Barnett wants to have lunch with you. And he wants you to take him around and show him what you're selling on the west side. Because he heard you're the only person who's doing any deals. So that's what I did. And wow. I took him around and I showed him what I was selling and hmm. where things were trading. So you see, that shows you how smart he was. He was educating himself because right. he wanted to see what was trading and where. And you weren't limiting this to new developments. This was no, I was showing them everything. So, yeah. so when you have a seller who's having a hard time understanding why their property is not selling and why it needs a price reduction, yeah. the best thing you can do is if you just show them comps in your building, you're going to be very frustrated because yeah, comps are yeah. that's old history. That's what's happened in the past. Yeah. You have to show them what's selling now and what's not selling now. And right what their competition is and it takes a lot of research and take sometimes it takes time and it takes patience mm -hmm. I, I love it that's that, that's great every single seller should hear that advice right over there every single agent that has a listing that's not selling should, should share this whole podcast and that segment in particular to their sellers we're down to the last minute here I need quick final thoughts this is go buyer sellers agents quick thoughts for buyers out there for okay, for buyers out there, go and see a lot of apartments. You always should feel like you've been really educated and you know what you like and what you don't like. Everybody has, has to make compromises at every single price point. Figure out what's okay for you to make a compromise. Right. Um, 
Then make sure that you feel really confident that you're going to like the apartment and that it's not just an investment mm -hmm. because then you will feel less scared about buying in a market that people tells, tell, tells you is not right. so strong. Right. Um, and then make sure that you feel that you're getting really good value and that you know, you're set with a good lawyer who's going to do you know, good due diligence, so you have a broker who's protecting your interests. Um, more and more I'm telling people to have um, engineers inspections of apartments. You want to make sure that maybe you're not missing something that you can't, you know, that you haven't been able to tell. Um, That's very interesting. We haven't heard that a lot lately. Yeah, yeah. More and more people are doing it. And I think it's important. I think that, you know, sometimes it usually doesn't show up anything bad. But right. what it does teach you is things you might not have known about this apartment that you're going to inherit and own. And how the things work in the apartment. Right. And well, so because typically people don't do the inspections, especially in co-ops or condos, because a lot of the large items like the boilers, the, the elevators, the yeah, roof that's covered life. by the building, yeah. and it's, it's going to come out in the minutes what the shelf life is. And, you know, an inspection's really not going to help you much as a buyer because these right. are not your sole responsibilities. But I'm curious what kind of things an inspector is going to turn up. I'd love some examples if you have any handy. Well, you know, sometimes it's just good to know sort of like how old the refrigerator is, when it may go out on you. If you're a first-time buyer, okay, I'm yeah, talking okay. about first-time buyers. I find this especially with people who are moving from the suburbs who've never bought an apartment yeah, before. Yeah, I was going to say outside. outside yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just one that. thing yeah. that sometimes I can, can suggest. I do think the most important thing, though, is to look at a lot of apartments so that right. when you oh. buy one, yeah. Yeah. you feel really good about it and you know that whatever's... Um, compromises you've made, they're okay for you. Yeah, product knowledge is so important. Sellers, find yourself for sellers. Um, for sellers, keep yourself updated. Listen to your broker if you trust your broker. Um, remember that if you're not getting offers and the marketing is being done well, it's the price. I mean, you know, it's yeah. like what people used to say during elections, it's the economy, it's it's the price. Yeah. And if you have a good broker... You're forgetting a word there. <laughs> yeah. um, if you have a good broker and you're marketing it well, um, they're marketing it well, and you're letting your broker show your apartment and you're not getting offers or yeah. you're not getting return visits, it's the price and you need to lower the price. Yeah. And remember that the market, I still believe, is very efficient, like we talked about. There's yeah. a lot of buyers out there. And when you hit the right price, you will get offers. And if it ends up being underpriced, you'll actually get multiple offers. It's yeah. still happening. Yeah, and, th and this market doesn't operate in a vacuum, and it is an illiquid, real estate's an illiquid market. So yeah. sometimes you gotta find that sweet spot before that. The, and it's sometimes it's trial and error. And yeah. that's the hardest thing. I have a seller now who keeps saying, well, you thought it would sell at this number. And I'm like, well, you have a unique apartment. It's the largest in the building. Yeah. It's, you know, we're gonna have to find that spot. Yeah, yeah that's often more like the art market than it is like the commodities market. Correct. Exactly. Correct. Where's the demand? We don't know until we price it. Right. And sometimes you get lucky and sometimes you get unlucky. That's right. Awesome. Lisa Littman, thank you so much. Sure. We are sure. at Brown Howard Stevens. This is Noah and John. We are from Urban Digs. We are talking Manhattan. We're going to catch you next time.